Before we get into all the fun, time for a quick disclaimer. The crossover is not a professional financial service. All materials released from the crossover are for educational and entertainment purposes. The crossover is not a replacement for professionals' opinion. Contributors to the crossover might have positions in the equities discussed on the podcast. Whenever you're ready. When uh, ready. Okay, let's do it. Ready? Ready. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second crossover. I'm Alan Sakla, coming to you live with Jacob Cohen. We are not really live, I realize. But live at the time. Live at the time. I can't take credit for that. That's Jerry Seinfeld. Love that. Giving respect, credit yeah. where credit's due. But it's great. It is great. <laughs> Jacob, did I scare you away? What happened? We do one podcast, then you have to take a one-week vacation. <laughs> Well, that's just how it is with you, you know? <laughs> but well, I'm back and rejuvenated. So I was a little hurt that you left after our first episode, had to take a week off, but we're better now. The feedback was fantastic. Thank you, everyone, for all the kind words and support. I am exhausted, just to put that out there. Utterly exhausted. What a day. We had Fed Chair Powell. Meta earnings coming off Snapchat earnings the day before. Did a lot of writing. Crazy. This is an exhaustive podcast. So that's good. It's great. <laughs> so, Jacob, thank you for asking me about my thoughts on the 25 basis point hike. Instead of talking about the economics, let's talk about how funny it was watching his speech. Okay. Every other word, the market would go up 0.2% down 0.2% to every single thing he was saying. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, you know, I was doing work in my room, and Alan comes over, he's like, are you going to watch this with me in 15 minutes? I'm like, uh, what are we going to watch that for? So he says, Alan says, this is my Super Bowl. <laughs> so what does that make next Sunday's game then, or two right, Sundays from I now? I don't know, it's something else, it's a little... <laughs> It's a regular season game. And, and it, it wasn't my Super Bowl, though, so I don't know why I said that. <laughs> right. But it, 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 it was a good bit. But getting right into it, I think you have great perspectives on tech news, tech happenings, and that's why we're going to be dedicating today's show, talking a little bit about Snapchat, a little bit about Spotify, and of course, even though those are both technically media, we will have a media minute with the big news from Paramount. But first, Jacob, I'll do a little introduction on the financials with Snapchat. Then I'd love to hear Jacob's jurisdiction on it. Okay. So yesterday, Snapchat released their fourth quarter earnings. Revenue was a slight miss, $1.3 billion versus $1.31 billion. EPS was actually a little beat, 0.14 cents per share versus $0.11 cents a share. Daily active users, slight miss, $375 million versus $375.3 million projected. And ARPU was a slight $0.02 cent miss. But the stock dropped 10% today. Jacob, why did the stock go down 10%? I have no idea. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jacob. Um, so I think there's two reasons. There's the obvious reason, which we will start with. They are projecting a 
negative 2 to negative 10% drop in Q1 revenue 2023 versus Q1 2022 revenue. That is not good, especially for a company that considers itself more like a growth company than a value stock, right? Mm -hmm. When you hear Snapchat, you're not thinking value stock bringing in the profits, right? Right. So that's the first thing. Of course, it's a nasty digital ad market, and Snapchat is incredibly exposed to that. And then the second reason, which I find specifically interesting, is they actually are free cash flow positive, which I didn't initially expect. Mm. I took a deeper look into what's going on. Yeah. They did $78.3 million in free cash flow in Q1. Okay? Put that, or Q4, I'm sorry. 2021 Q4, they did $160 million. So that's like near half cut. Not good, right? right? But they're actually not really free cash flow positive. What does that mean? He just said they were. Stock-based compensation in Q4 of this quarter, this year, was $450 million. Mm. So that is... $450 million in dilution versus $78 million in profit. Nasty, nasty combo. And just for perspective's sake, Q421, they had $297 million in stock-based compensation. So stock-based compensation went up a lot while free cash flow went down. Bad, bad equation. Okay. And it, to me, it looks especially bad now uh, in terms of the ad market, like what you were talking about before, after meta earnings we just had, same ad market. What's going on over at Snapchat? So maybe it's a little bit of a competitive strategic positioning type of thing. Mm. How so? Instagram Reels on fire. We've talked about, by we, you, people still use Facebook. Yeah. WhatsApp's big. And they monetize WhatsApp where in India? More people use WhatsApp in India than there are people in the United States. That's crazy. And it's monetized there much more than it is here. Yeah. So I'm sure that plays a component in um, their success, but I really think it's Instagram Reels, right? Because I don't remember the exact date, but when they released the new iOS that put up a walled garden there, mm -hmm. Facebook's uh, targeting went down a lot but now with all of their ai investments advertisers love that mm -hmm. first of all people love by people i know i do love engaging with instagram reels mm -hmm. and i just think from a tech from a consumer product perspective they've got it rocking and rolling yeah it's it's easy to forget how crazy it is that the facebook or the meta family of apps is inching towards four billion monthly active users. Insane. It's insane. And, you know, I was speaking to someone today who, who said it well when they said, people almost forget that this family of apps are, are practically utilities at this point. Mm. And, you know, it kind of changes the way you think about it. It's not as cool. It's not a cool growth app, this, that. But it's used so widely there's so much opportunity to monetize. And while they've hit some hurdles, for sure, there's a lot of opportunity when you're dealing with 4 billion people. Could not agree more. And especially, they gave uh, shareholders great confidence by announcing a $40 billion share buyback on top of the existing one, 
which represents 10% of the company's market cap. I, I think the most important thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Facebook, Meta, what they've done, I think, and I'll call it the common era in the past few years, the best, is the way they copy other people's products. Yeah. And maybe it's like a Zuckerberg thing to try and be the leader in the metaverse, mm -hmm. but that's really been the story of the past few years, right? Whether it's, and I feel bad for Snapchat, Snapchat made stories big, and now yeah. Instagram stories are massive. Whether it's, um, they have Instagram as disappearing pictures, what else have they stolen? Reels from TikTok. Reels, TikTok, <laughs> thank you. That's what made me think of it in the first place. So question for you, Jacob. Um, or I should add first Spotlight, Snapchat's mm. um, TikTok yes. competitor did have a nice little run. It did. Over 100% from a time engaged perspective year over year. Do you think that is sustainable? Do you think that that's a sign of things to come? Yeah. If they're, if they're pointing that out, it probably is doing well as a feature. But I have some thoughts about Snapchat generally that I think you might find interesting. A little bit of a ramble. Bring it. All right. I was listening to a great podcast last night. Daryl Morey, president of basketball operations um, for the Philadelphia 76ers on the Patrick O'Shaughnessy podcast. Mm. He, at the end of it, like apologized for rambling too long. Yeah. Rambling is good. Oh, that's what we're, that's what we're doing here. Rambling. I always tell people that ram, that ramble and then they apologize for rambling. I say no, that's what I want to hear. Yep. So here's a little bit of a ramble. Snapchat says they now reach more than seventy five percent of thirteen to thirty four year olds in more than twenty countries, with those countries representing over fifty percent of global digital ad spend. So the opportunity for them is big. But if you look at a chart of revenue over time, since these big tech social companies' foundings, the Snapchat chart is slightly better, but looks a lot like that of Twitter, where they've been in business for a while now, and revenue is pretty flat. So when you're looking at something like TikTok, where it's going just up and to the right, it's like, what's, what's the opportunity for growth here? What's going wrong? Now, the company continues to invest really heavily in augmented reality, AR. Alan's making a face right now at AR. <laughs> you know why? Why? Do the people want augmented reality? It's a good question, which let's talk about. But, you know, here's some things that they, that they specifically point out. They have more than 300,000 AR creators and developers now. They have all these kinds of AR ad solutions for brands, which are cool, but are they net, like you said, are that what the people want? Is it necessary? You know, they can power garment, earring, and wrist wear try-ons with augmented reality. It's powering more than 161 million product trials for Walmart products, 14 million try-ons for Luxottica Sunglass Hut glasses. In the earnings call, Spiegel said they believe the camera represents our greatest opportunity to improve the way people live and communicate. Over 250 million Snapchatters engage with augmented reality every day on average. Clearly, they like AR a lot, and it's a core competency for them. But I also think the playing field is different now than it was even a few years ago. TikTok does a ton of AR stuff. Same with Meta. 
So it's not table stakes at this point for a major social platform, but that's just to say they're not the only ones doing this kind of stuff anymore. So I don't think it can be the thing that they rely on to differentiate. How are they going to continue differentiating further? And you know, since 1990... Mm, how old were you in 1990? I was negative... You were 28. <laughs> in the United States, since 1990, the percentage of Americans who report having less than three close friends has doubled from 16 to 32%, according to the Survey Center on American Life. And Americans who report having no close friends at all are up from 3% to 12%. Not good. Not good. Obviously, a lot of this has to do with social media and many Anti-social media. Anti-social media, there you go. When you try to be online friends with everybody, it dilutes the value of friendship. It makes real friendship harder because you spend time online doing whatever. I think Snapchat has a real opportunity to lean into being a, the platform for you and your real-life friends. It's the one platform I still think that is not saturated with news, celebrities, brands, politics. And, you know, TikTok, I think, had that for a while, but now it's feeling a little more saturated with that. I think Snapchat has a big advantage in this regard and should keep leveraging it. One of the better ideas I've heard. Mm. Well, it's not really, you know, it's not really a specific idea, but no, it's, it's just a sentiment. It's identifying a real competitive advantage. Mm. It's you look at Instagram. That's not really you and your close friends anymore. No. And Facebook obviously is. Yeah. But Snapchat, you're not really there to look at all the celebrities and what they're doing. So I think really leaning into the friendship thing is a great, great point. The hard part, and you know, Monetizing. I think... Monetizing? Exactly. Facebook had this opportunity to connect you and your real friends, but as they had to monetize and grow the business, that's when all the schmutz started growing. All the brands come in, the politics pours in. It's happening with TikTok now. It's happening a little with TikTok now. It's I've not noticed. the same as it once was, sources tell not me. Not the same as it once was. But I think Snapchat, I don't use it, but the way I see it being used is people are really communicating with their real-life friends on that app as opposed to random strangers. I think that's a that's really valuable. But how do you monetize it? That's the question. Love it. So kind of three points I was thinking of while you were talking. I did listen. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> so I think three points. One, there is real value to Snapchat as a product and just the opportunity it could present, like what is it, 370 million, 5 million global users, that's serious. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I do think the story they are telling is really a story to investors and analysts that can easily buy into it without mm -hmm. knowing, like they're not on Snapchat probably. Right. And it's like, because I... Yeah, how many of these analysts are on Snapchat? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yo, you see Facebook's earnings today? <laughs> yeah. That's a great idea, by the way. For all these consumer social apps, we should go get a group of 10 teenagers, have them read the earnings report, and see what cap they have Cap or no cap. Yeah, cap or no cap. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm kind of making a call. Over the next couple of years, I'm feeling a Snapchat acquisition. Who? Who do you think? Amazon. 
Would that be allowed? I don't know if it would be allowed. Assuming it's all allowed. Why Amazon? They want something on the consumer social side. Imagine all that potential revenue through try-on, shopping, brand deal things. I also think uh, as Amazon gets more into content, right? That's a great point. You can start because actually stories get nice engagement on Snapchat, right? Mm -hmm. So you can do teasers of episodes, um, even full episodes. Uh, Amazon's getting much more into live sports. How do you get Gen Z sports? Story tells itself. Great. That's the segment. Good segment. Up next. Up next. Talk Spotify a little bit. Amazing. So just fueling up on some some Oreos. Get the Oreos. blood sugar rising. Did you ask if you could have some? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Whose are they? They're yours. Great. Well, I'm okay with it. So Spotify released earnings on Tuesday. And Mr. Market liked it. Have you heard of them, pun most definitely intended? Heard of them. That's Yeah, it's a great pun, actually. Thank you. There was a um, miss on the bottom line. A dollar and four, I guess, a euro and 40 cents a share. That's weird to say. Mm. Um, in loss versus a, do- a euro 27 loss. Okay, we did it. And revenue was a slight top line beat, 3.17 billion euros versus 3.16 billion euros. 489 million monthly active users for this quarter. That is a lot, up 20% year over year. And they added 33 million in this past quarter alone. And from a paying user's perspective, they're up to 205 million, which is up 14% from a year ago. But Jacob, Spotify's earnings stock was up. 12%. 12%. So I'm going to actually ask you a leading question if that's okay. cool. So the main reason for uh, stock going up was that massive um, user growth yeah. and the expectation of they'll be able to monetize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what also has been happening, I haven't been following this too closely, it looks like they are going to be, like everyone, cutting down their costs, specifically mm-hmm. with their investment into podcast original content. Right. What are your thoughts on that? A while back, Spotify was basically trying to do the Netflix model, own all the content, make all the content, and now they realize the YouTube model is much better for them, be the best platform for the creation, for the hosting, for the sharing. You know, spending $200 million on studios maybe is not necessary anymore. It's a low interest rate move. Yeah. And I actually think it's pretty interesting because what does bring me to Spotify is the exclusive podcast. When I do come, I'm an Apple Music guy. That's true. So I actually go on it pretty regularly. I'm listening to the Puck podcast. If I'm listening to uh, Bill Simmons, Joe Rogan, that's what brings me there. And I think what you're actually seeing Hollywood as a whole that will trickle down here is entertainment media just won't be able to demand the same amount that they were um, mm-hmm. during the peaks of 2020, 2021. So I do hope for there, I, I don't know the numbers very well, but I think they do need some exclusive mm-hmm. content strategy perspective, being more focused with their investments. But I do think that should be a part of their game plan moving forward. Yeah. You know, Spotify's greatest advantage 
in my opinion, is the fact that it is just locked into a 30-year lease at one of the most valuable locations in the world. I didn't know this. You didn't know this? No. My phone's home screen. Mm. Bottom row, bottom right. Mm. It's such a sticky platform. Once you're in it and once you're building a library of your music, the chance of you leaving is so low. It's such a sticky platform, more sticky than Netflix for sure in that sense. Someone was telling me today that if they get booted Who from is Netflix. This someone? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. If they get booted told from you a Netflix lot. <laughs> uh, over the password sharing restrictions, they're not going to get a new, they don't want to spend any more money on it. They're not going to get an account for themselves. Maybe, maybe you hop in when Stranger Things comes out or something exactly. like that. Um, but yeah, some interesting thoughts. Uh, back in 2018, this is what I was discussing earlier. Professor Galloway said he thinks Netflix needs to become Spotify before Spotify becomes Netflix. Later, What, what he should have said is Netflix should buy Spotify. Yeah, well, but, later that year he said Netflix should buy Spotify and become the ultimate video voice service. I love that, Prof G, and I have that on my notes. You could even create, now we're really getting into it, but a YouTube type of thing. 100%. Imagine Ad supported the whole nine the TV yards. and movies to the music to the podcast, to the audiobook. You know, in Netflix earnings, when they're always like, this Kate Bush song in Stranger Things was number one on Billboard for three weeks. Imagine the power of that flywheel if you were to have the TV show, and then you can go listen to the song, and you can go listen to a podcast about the whole thing, and then maybe listen to an audiobook. Very powerful. Very powerful. But like you said, Apple is a problem. Why? Spotify. Why? And it's probably the biggest risk to Spotify right now on multiple fronts, too, from the payments perspective and from a content perspective. So the best, the easiest way to look at this right now is from this example of audiobooks. So audiobooks is the next big thing for Spotify. That's the third big pillar after music and podcasts. The frontier. I think X said it. he sees it being a $70 billion market in audiobooks in the future. In this most recent earnings call, he said, by the end of the year, we had more than 100 million tracks on our platform, 5 million podcasts, and more than 300,000 audiobooks being enjoyed by almost half a billion users. It's accurate, and it's inaccurate. Whoa. It's accurate, because the numbers are true, but it's not entirely accurate in the sense that those 300,000 audiobooks are very much not being enjoyed by half a billion listeners. Mm. And the answer, or, or the reason, is uh, because Apple and Google, too, charge these really hefty commissions on app developers like Spotify when a payment is processed through their app. Up to 30% historically. So much. That's a lot. Uh, and they do this for things, reasonable things, I think, which are like covering the cost to operate the app store, security. It might be expensive, but those reasons alone are are understandable, interesting. But obviously, companies like Spotify would rather process the payment themselves, save a ton of money. And for years, they haven't taken Apple to courts over this. They even have a whole website dedicated to this. I love that. Yeah. It's Restore actually, it's the magic? It's like, it's like one of, it's one of those websites. Yeah. So, but this audiobooks, it's a real problem for them. 
Right now, if you go on the Spotify app on an iPhone, you hit audiobooks, you try to hit play on one of these audiobooks, a little pop-up comes up, and it just says, you can't buy audiobooks in the app. There's no instruction. That's the end of it. There's no instructions on how to buy one of these audiobooks in the app or outside of the app, because Apple does not allow you to even instruct like people to how to go outside of the app and get the and get the. It is unbelievable that in 2023 that is <laughs> the case. I I really want to take a deeper look into like the bull, bullish perspective on Spotify. I don't follow them much, but how can this company? get to a spot where they're generating significant profit it just seems difficult kind of i think they have a lot more going to the uh going for them than a snapchat does can't really compare it Mm -hmm. but it's similar things that i think a lot of the rev share agreement between musicians creators there's an expectation there they're going up against apple and like a snapchat i think it could do really nicely folded into a bigger company Mm. who says no if Netflix goes to Spotify, $40 billion acquisition, Spotify's $20 billion today, it would make an acquisition about 330 bucks a share, which approaches their 2021 highs. Mm. Sounds like a grand slam. It sounds pretty good. I also think YouTube and Amazon are starting to offer very similar offerings as Spotify, and that's a threat too. This bundles it all up, right? This YouTube blows me away. Mm. We won't get too into it now, but it is just unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And that's that's all. They're almost like what we're talking about with the Netflix, Spotify. They're going to have they're that kind of it. platform. And I mean, even the nice transition to the next topic. But what they do with YouTube TV, right? Sh- they're everywhere. YouTube Music, TV Shorts. They were doing like a uh, like a, a fast model they're looking to build out, free ad-supported television. Mm. They're going for it, man. Yeah. Welcome to my favorite minute of the week, mm-hmm. Media Minute. There was big news, and we're not going to be making this segment paramount every time. Right. I think we did a great job with it. The first podcast hasn't really come out. This one. But there was a big, big news with Paramount. Paramount Plus in Showtime. What went down there? Correct me if I'm wrong or specify it more, but Showtime is going to be no longer standalone. They're going to be part of Paramount Plus. Beautiful, eloquent. So basically, Showtime will no longer exist. That it is something, the writing has been on the wall for this for a while. Mm. First with the David Nevins departure, right? He was the head of Showtime. Second, that happened. It's like, we're going a different way. Right. Um, And then just there's been rumors everywhere. Showtime being integrated into Paramount Plus as a bundle, as you know, as Bob Backish loves to say, CEO of Paramount, that's how I use Paramount Plus. Mm. So officially... Showtime will be going away later this year. Will be folded into Paramount Plus as a premium bundle of mm-hmm. some sort, and also the cable channel will get renamed um, to Paramount Plus with Showtime. Kind of crazy. Showtime, as we know, it's going away. And I just want to share a little bit of a financial perspective. Of what's going on here? Paramount's going to save a lot of money by doing this. Uh, Wells Fargo. 
shared that they think Showtime does $2 billion in revenue, about a billion in content costs, 20% of the revenue in uh, SG&A, so that's like $400 million, which leaves them with $600 million EBITDA. Pretty, pretty good. Wells Fargo thinks you can cut half of those SG&A costs easily. Mm. Think about all the infrastructure you can get rid of. Yeah. And Chris McCarthy, right, who's already the head of Paramount Network, MTV Studios, all of that, he's now the head of Showtime. So, and he's not going to need a whole team to manage right. all of Showtime. So there's going to be, it's really sad, a lot of people are going to be losing their jobs. That's happening in a lot of places currently in this environment. Mm-hmm. But from a shareholder perspective, the idea of $300 million in synergies is great. great. Yeah. Sadly, but yeah. it is great. And then you also think about the importance of scale in media, mm-hmm. right? You need scale, specifically in the streaming wars, to decrease churn. You were mentioning to me off the record, that's a powerful service when you have Paramount Plus mm-hmm. and you fold in big time shows, Yellow Jackets, Dexter. Homeland, Shameless. Yeah. There's a lot there. I think that service altogether, both of them together, is a rock solid streaming service. Might not be first tier, but it's a top second tier streaming service. You know what? I was thinking about this last night a little bit, what I do. Um, But I got a little scared. Warner Brothers Discovery soon to be known as the max service mm-hmm. you have to when you're like in streaming they're serious it's another shout out to walled garden it's another walled garden like it's not like flipping the channels like it used to be right mm-hmm. and the idea of someone just kind of getting sucked into the max offering and not going to other streaming services i was pretty scared by yeah that's gonna be killer netflix is a machine right now they're gonna be a machine i don't know if I'd consider Paramount a machine like that. I wouldn't either. But I think they're just setting themselves up nicely to be a good streaming service that doesn't sell itself as a machine, but just has rock-solid stuff for for different specific audiences. And I also think there's the power of live sports that will bring people into Paramount Plus no matter what, and that is massive. Football, Champions League, March Madness. From a financial perspective, Disney, one of the last straws with Chapek was that he was trying to, to my understanding, (laughs) financially kind of engineer how you amortize content expenses. Meaning, if you show a show on cable, you can, um, like, market as cable content expense and not streaming, mm-hmm. helping the streaming profitability. Sure. So let's say some of this Paramount Plus content goes on Showtime linear channel. I'm sure it can help with the overall economics Absolutely. of uh, Paramount streaming. And I think that's something interesting. A little nugget. A little nugget. It's good. It's a good nugget. All right. So thought it'd be fun to have one little fun thing before we wrap it up here. Saw a great Onion article this week. Titled, CEOs explain how they will use chat GPT. <laughs> this is obviously all fake quotes. <laughs> this was good. Uh, Gary Kelly, CEO of Southwest Airlines, said, 
We think AI will cultivate a personal human connection with consumers that our current customer service reps seem to be lacking. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, this was good. We'll end with this one. Yeah. Bed, Bath & Beyond. We've been looking for a fourth word that starts with B for Bankruptcy. years. <laughs> and this could finally lead to a breakthrough. <laughs> Bankruptcy, right? Bankruptcy, yeah. yeah that, love that's that. it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in again. An absolute blast. Look forward to uh, talking to you guys next week and see you soon. Mm-hmm.